This is where Thanksgiving really begins, isn't it, Edgar? Well, now, if you're referring to the Aroma Roast Turkey, I can tell. The Around the NFL Podcast. Loves turkey. Mm-mm, turkey. Oh, yes. It's Thanksgiving. One of the great times on the calendar. And we do have so much to be thankful for here on the Around the NFL podcast. Dan Hansis with heroes Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Um, Boys, how are you? Doing wonderful. Feeling great. Thanksgiving is a national holiday celebrated on various states in the United States, Canada, Grenada, Grenada, St. Lucia, and Liberia. Fun facts. Celebrated on the second Monday of October in Canada. So, uh, sorry guys, we missed that. Fourth Thursday of November in the U.S. Now, Ricky, jump in. Annual uh, preview show quiz time. What is the, and I don't want to, you know, get into any culture wars here, but I want to hear the traditional uh, belief, what was the beginning of Thanksgiving? The beginning of Thanksgiving that people think is that when the Native Americans and the pilgrims came together, they finally shared all their food together and they had a big feast together and friends and happy and everything was good and nice. All right. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's like the, you know, 1940s to 1990s uh, school um, version of it. But after doing some further research, it's it's kind of like a um, East Coast, West Coast uh, 90s hip hop feud going on here between Virginia and Massachusetts, where uh, you guys hail, uh, Greg and Ricky. And uh, the Massachusetts people said, you know, it started in the 1600s. The pilgrims came over uh, from England and then they they gave their food to two Native American tribes in exchange for protection from another uh, Native American tribe. The people in Virginia say it's a religious holiday. Uh, hmm. So that is the history of it. Well, how is that a religion or how did a religion spring up out of that? I mean, well, getting, you know, you know how people were in protection. the 1600s. Right. I mean, yeah, there's so few Jews in Massachusetts. I remember someone once asked me if we celebrated Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so. Do I you? Mean, it, <laughs> my favorite. I would say the number one on my, Mark, on my Mark's, power rankings. Mark's favorite for sure. All the food. And I mean, you know, here's <laughs> the, the total lack like, of I, food. The lack no, of I, family. I grew up loving Thanksgiving, but my family, my wow. wife and kids go away to her parents house during this these stints where i covered you know these games with you guys so mark literally sits know. out thanksgiving because he hates food so much i mean i will allow you to say whatever you wish um but i i mean it's it's not like i'm a magnet what to do you eat meals. what are you gonna eat tomorrow i don't know like an apple i mean i'm not okay. gonna, i'm not mark. sitting around creating like mincemeat pies in my house or something no I mean, one else is literally no like, one else is and what by the mean, way, you no should one know else is. everyone else just seems minced to be meat pies. Well, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever it is. You know, everyone's debating over like the worst side dish. It's like chill out. It's a nice holiday. I Mark, I, Mark I, hates I have nothing when but people nice have opinions on food because he hasn't had an opinion on food since like 1994. Oh, he has an opinion. It's just kind of <laughs> that it's terrible. 
But yeah, like, that's the I, one that know. covers it all. That covers it all. Uh, and I should just say the the whole Massachusetts uh, Virginia debate in '63, two weeks before he was assassinated, JFK uh, made a statement striking a compromise between the re- the rivals. Era, era, era. Over three centuries ago, our forefathers in Virginia and Massachusetts. Era, era, era. Far from home in a lonely wilderness. Era, era. Set aside of Thanksgiving. Era, era. They will now be celebrated together. Era, era. Wait a minute. What was, was the era said? business? What was that? What was that all about? That, that's JFK. That's what he sounded like. Um, all right. <laughs> a lot to get to. We got three Thanksgiving games to preview. We have the rest of the week. Holy God, 12 games to dig into. Um, and yes, yeah, since Thanksgiving, Greg, by the way, is the traditional um, start of the holiday season. I do have a gift for you. Like the first Ooh. gift of the holiday season comes from me, the old Zeuser, to Greggy. And it's from, uh, it was taken from the latest edition of the Power Rankings television show. There's a segment uh, called Player Pushback. Uh, originally, it was Willie McGinnis. And Derek Carr, and they, um, it's a, like a three minute segment where they push back on the rankings in one way or the other. Willie, after like two episodes, is like, he got in somebody's ear and said, I ain't doing this anymore. And they got, <laughs> they got Mariucci involved, Steve Mariucci, and we love Mooch. And Mooch comes on in the segment and usually just uh, talks about one of the teams in the top three and why they're good. Uh, but you should know uh, that the Cardinals were his subject uh, on the latest power rankings, and he had this to say. All right. You know, they should be on the top of the list because your record says, you know, who you are. Right. But you know what? The most important position in football, obviously, is the quarterback. But I think the second most important position is your backup quarterback. (laughs) And your third most important position is your third string quarterback. He even said it with the little the little Chaz Casserly pizzazz there. Right. Right. You think Maybe he was doing right. an impression? And the fourth most important person in your group is your quarterback coach. <laughs> and your fifth most important player on your roster is your first string quarterback's mother. I mean, he's sneaky lifting up Colt McCoy as he as he should be doing. So appreciate yep. that, Colt McCoy. What a so man. that was for you, Greg. I hope you enjoyed Thank it. You. I enjoy, I did. I did. All right. Let's. Get I hope our new it. listeners who are like, what are they talking about? Um, just go back, listen to all our episodes and find our Charlie Casserly references from season <laughs> six. You're now probably four through eight. Uh, episode 413. <laughs> uh, you dug into it um, with with uh, a distinct, you know, exploratory vibe. <laughs> all right. Let's start with the Thanksgiving games and um, just a little program note. We will be. Uh, delivering a mini pod that goes will go up late Thursday, Thanksgiving night, um, recapping all three of the games we're about to preview. So let's get into the first one. We don't need to dwell on it uh, because it's almost become overdone now uh, how terrible these teams are and how bad this game is. And I've already said my piece that the line shouldn't be on Thanksgiving, but it, they are, and that's just the way it is. So you get the three and seven Browns on a five-game losing streak with their coach halfway out the door. Uh, going to Ford Field to face the 0-9 and 1 uh, Lions. Uh, so the Lions coming off a narrow loss to the Browns. They should have Jared Goff back. Tim Boyle was wretched uh, playing. Oh, you know the Blauhard Nation was up in arms. I know that Mark because yes. Boyle was brutal. Uh, Disrespect. And that, 
Jared Goff should be back in the lineup. Unfortunately, the one thing that would have made, maybe made this game somewhat intriguing as a neutral fan uh, would be Justin Fields in this spot, but he ain't playing. He's got bad ribs. So Andy Dalton is the starter. So dig in on this on Turkey Day. I mean, the Bears have faced uh, and Matt Nagy like the darkest of the darkest timelines he could possibly be in. There was literally a headline from the Associated Press. Nagy denies report of his own firing. It's like, oh, we have that. Let's listen to poor Matt Nagy, who had to uh, speak to that because the Chicago press, like the rest of the people in the Midwest right now, are out for blood. Man, there's a report today that you've been informed this will be your last game as president. That is not accurate. You know, I have not, um, you know, I have great communication with ownership with George and Ted and, and Ryan, but uh, I have not had any discussions. Okay. It makes me think, um, Greg, because it, usually this happens to one coach every year, and you really, and I, I feel like Adam Gase was kind of the guy last year, uh, but the guy I think of the most is Chuck Pagano, and it was one of Chris Wessling's favorite quotes when Pagano knew he was finished in Indy, and the same situation was happening before the axe fell on him. Uh, he had a very kind of Zen way of looking at it. He refused to get kind of caught up in the misery of it all, and he said to the media, "They can fire you, but they can't eat you." <laughs> <laughs> and they can't eat that Nagy, but they will fire him. And the rest of the city wants him out as well. They're, they're kind of eating him, though, just to put this into context. Number one, that report was from some non-sports reporter on Patch.com. Hey, how about like the rest of us don't give the Patch.com guy? Well, I'm a um, former Patch alum. Yeah, so Dan, I'm Dan, Dan did great work He's not even a patch. sports reporter, so it's weird. Number two. Matt Nagy was at a football game, his son's football game this week, and some kids there started a chant to fire Nagy. That was on mm. Monday, like fire Nagy. And the the organization or the whoever runs the, the games, you know, sent out an apology without mentioning Nagy's name because they were trying to make it not into a bigger story. Then it came out later Tuesday. Nagy actually did meet with ownership on Tuesday. This was after this report. And after the meeting with ownership, he canceled meetings for the rest of the day. So that is uh, just leading me to the point that this is a mercy firing. It's time to go. Um, Matt Patricia had faced these reports last year, too, before Thanksgiving, and they proved to be right. I think uh, the, the proper way for him to go out um, is to lose and to give Dan Campbell and all of us a nice moment on the lo- uh, on Thanksgiving. Lose this game, and that's why I'm locking up the winless Lions. Oh, look! At I you. like that a lot. <laughs> and by the way, you're not you're not the only person or a group of people locking up the early Thursday game. Hit it, Ricky. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. Nick here again. I was out of commission for the last two weeks, and boy, did my brothers blow it while I was gone. <laughs> Columbus Westlings are now 0 and 3 on the year, which means the Cincy Westlings are a solid 6 and 2. Speaking of the Cincy Westlings, we've seen Andy Dalton on national TV enough to know he stinks. The Lions keep fighting, get a legendary 8 to 5 win on Thanksgiving <laughs> over the Bears. Lock it up. <laughs> hey, did, Thanksgiving did, guys. Good day. Happy Thanksgiving to Nick and the entire Westling family. You guys are the best. Did this just happen? Do we have two team, two uh, groups locking up the winless Lions in late November? 
I'm disappointed. I mean, the whole point of locking that up is, uh, you know, that was like a special thing to to lock up a no nine team. And now, now two of us are, that's too bad, but I believe in this Deandre Swift led lions offense. Let's get it done. I mean, the bears have been a disaster. They've lost five straight. Um, There's utter chaos unfolding yet. It would be an even bigger disappointment with Andy Dalton to go into Detroit and lose this game. I know that Detroit has been frisky in the sense of keeping it close and, you know, four games against opponents where you can look at the opponent and say, hmm, if you knew before the season, you'd think the Lions would be better than they were. But I, I look at the Bears and say, you still have Robert Quinn. You still have Roquan Smith, who was insane last week against Baltimore. I mean, I think he had a career high 17 tackles all over the place. And Andy Dalton was not a disaster in that game. I, 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 it sounds like you're not going to have Allen Robinson. Well, Darnell I mean, Mooney is making plays, but this is the better team. If you can't beat, if you cannot beat the Tyler Huntley red led Ravens and that team missing all those players, they stink Chicago. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I I think it's good to, it's good to present both sides of this. I'm, I get you, Mark. And there are players that have been, they are favored. Yeah. They're certainly heavily favored. The bears, uh, in this game, they played 81 snaps on defense. It's a short turnaround. I kind of think Dalton gives them maybe a slightly better chance. Maybe that's heretical to say, um, but I'm in too deep now. Uh, I just right. wanted something to I mean, you're putting your, your faith in Jared Goff, who they also, by the way, had net 77 yards passing in that Steelers game, too. It wasn't just Tim Boyle. When's the last time a team had 77 yards passing two games in a row? I mean, this this might shock you, but I don't really have that much faith in the Lions. I'm just having some fun here. Let's the middle game. game. The Greg Las has Vegas... given up on the locks. That's what's happened. <laughs> <It's>, well, <laughs> the Las Vegas Raiders, five and five, riding a three-game losing streak out of their bye. Good job, boys. Uh, travel to Jarrow World to face the Cowboys, who have lost two of three, including that disappointing 19-9 to loss. Uh, to the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Uh, This game sets up extremely well uh, for the Cowboys, uh, given how poorly Vegas is playing and has played for the better part of a month. However, Amari Cooper uh, is not playing because he got COVID and did not get vaccinated, and Jerry Jones gave him some public grief for that uh, this week, uh, saying it's a team sport, and that was not a team decision. Uh, and Amari Cooper, as of this taping, uh, is still working his way back from a concussion on a short week. Uh, so the Dallas offense could be shorthanded. Uh, Greg, do you have concerns about Dak post-calf strain at all? Two two of his worst three games of the season, certainly. I think Tyron Smith being out was a huge part of that. But he also just missed throws. And he he was like the opposite of poised and understanding what the defense was sending him in in two of those games which was surprising um you know you mentioned cd lamb might not play he's trending towards playing and so is tyron smith and That's that good. makes me think that they can cover this uh seven point spread here because the the raiders just aren't pulling off any big plays over the last three weeks yeah i mean the splits for Dak prescott with and without tyron smith in the lineup are noticed are, are notable um and it's huge to have him back um you know they were eaten up by the pass rush a week ago. But I, when I watched the Raiders, you know, I was going to lock up the Bengals um, or the, the Steelers over the Bengals. And when I watched what Cincinnati did to Las Vegas, I changed my mind entirely because hmm. that game was close at the end. Um, I, I just look at a Raiders team that I think beyond the off the field, uh, you know, tragedy of it all, losing Henry Ruggs in the offense has really allowed defenses to basically 
put everything on Darren Waller. And there was a terrible car pick against the Bengals late in the game. I think it was 22 to 13 where he floated it to Waller and it was just taken away. And it's like, they just don't have a lot of other weapons on that team. They're depleted. Their run game isn't very good. They've got three offensive linemen who rank in the bottom 10th percent of performance by PFF right now. I think they're missing Richie Incognito. They just, you know, it's like, it isn't the same as the other Raiders collapses necessarily, but they're falling apart. And when you get Derek Carr mistakes um, tacked onto the depleted roster, I don't think they can survive. And this is, you know, I, I don't I can't believe we're back in a Cowboys bounce back spot, but this is a great bounce back spot for Dallas. I, you know, I I think this is a very important final six, seven game stretch here for Derek Carr also, because I think we all saw how well he played um, in the first two months of the season. But he he's kind of going to find himself back in the same place if this season spirals and goes completely south, um, because. I think you're seeing with Ryan Tannehill in in Nashville as well, uh, where he's a quarterback. He was a very good quarterback, but he's lost pieces around him. And then, you know, he threw four interceptions last week and you wonder, Oh, is he a type of guy that gets exposed a little bit when he doesn't have the right supporting cast around him? Carr is going to have to answer that. I think um, if this offense doesn't get going again, if he truly is, you know, a top 12, uh, you know, back end of the top 10 quarterback uh, quarterback, then he will get this offense going again. If he doesn't, I, I think it's very telling at this stage of his career. I mean, he's, he's not transcendent. I don't think he's been the biggest problem over the last few weeks. He's thrown some bad plays once they were down a couple scores late. Other than that, he's kind of looked similar. I just well, think I'm it's, not saying some, he's it's, the problem, it's, Greg. it's I, some regression to the mean yeah. from his play. We've seen him enough that probably wasn't going to keep it that level. And I think it's a lot of regression from the offense, just generally. I, I don't think you can put it all on rugs. We've seen other teams lose pieces. They don't uh, collapse like this. I guess my point would be every quarterback is a function of the players around him. Tom Brady um, was get his grave was being danced on at the end of 2019 because the players around him were so bad. Like no one thought he was a top 10 quarterback. We were like joking on this podcast of what a joke he was essentially. Um, and, and now he's back to being like the number one quarterback in the league. Cause he's got a great surrounding situation. That's all. Oh, or is this a Greg, nothing really matters response in general. I I'm saying maybe there's three or four quarterbacks who could survive, you know, and it's just kind of regression to the mean. I think he's having a very good season, and actually he hasn't played that bad over the last couple of weeks. His problem well, is he kind all of... all right. So then put it this way, because you were leading the charge about how great Derek Carr was earlier this season, above anyone else, really, uh, in the national media, I, I kind of uh, can state, I think, that is is he just the same Derek Carr then, ultimately? This isn't a better version of the player. He's the same guy he's always been, and now that his players are gone, he's gone as like a real functional, high-level quarterback. I I think he can't overcome what's around him now. In that, him playing at that level was was unsustainable for just well, about that's not anyone. Someone like that anyone, but for another contract with, if he like, I, I I get that you can say that's every quarterback, but it, you, I can't equate Derek Carr with Tom Brady. And- I, I I hear you. I guess I'm just saying, like, who hasn't fallen victim to that this year to some degree? Like Josh Allen's playing much worse. Like a, I. I, I just haven't looked. He's not going to overcome his surroundings. He did for five or six or seven weeks, and that, that probably was not the real Derek Carr. That's a fair point. The three games out of the bye for the Raiders, at Giants, 16 points, home against Kansas City, 14 points, home against Cincinnati, 13 points. So, uh, you know, they got to show up against Dallas and Micah Parsons, who's playing at a level that's maybe even transcending defensive player of the year. He could be in the 
defense uh, defensive rookie of the year, I should say, it could be entering into defensive player of the year territory, especially with a, a big performance in an island game on Thanksgiving, which takes us to the final game on Thursday. After this, the Buffalo Bills panic in the streets of Orchard Park after a 41-15 thumping at the hands of the Colts on Sunday. Now they head to the Superdome uh, to face a Saints team that has not won uh, since Halloween. And Mark, this is a, this is kind of a tough one because you know the it makes sense that the Bills. If you think the Bills are a team that is going through things, but ultimately is very talented and well coached and understands the stakes of a game like this, they should go to New Orleans and take care of business. But there's been so much evidence over the past month or so that there's something really wrong here. Where do you come down on this one? Well, I would say this, that the Saints have been one of the feistiest, um, more enjoyably watchable, tough-nosed teams around, but they are struggling right now. I like this spot for Buffalo just based on health alone. I mean, you've got – it's Alvin Kamara's probably not happening. Mark Ingram's not practicing. Ryan Ramchek is not around right now. Teron Armstead, we'll see on him, but even his backup, Landon Young, has has not mispracticed this week. So they He's are – for the season. He broke his foot. They're about as banged up as possible. And it, we, I think last, the last couple of weeks, what we've seen with the Saints is they're pushing as hard as they can to stay in these games. But two weeks ago, um, killer mistakes down the stretch. It happened this past week. The floor starts to fall out. Um, yeah, Buffalo's back and forth, uh, but, but I think they're the, clearly the better team. And it would be kind of stunning to see them fall in this situation to Trevor Simeon. That said, the only thing that I kind of feel, and this is, has nothing to do with next-gen stats or anything else, I just see visions of like a totally celebratory um, Superdome on fire, lathered up on Thanksgiving night. And maybe sometimes things like that can happen where the bills get lost in the moment a little bit, but that's not logic-based. That's just sort of a dream. Right. I was ready to, to pick the Saints to win this game because of that. Because I think, I think they've been so mentally tough. And I think their defense has a chance to have a great game against Buffalo, who's been all over the place. The Bills have the highest variance of any team in the history of football outsiders. So just they're putting a number on it. But basically, they are literally the most con- inconsistent team they've ever recorded. But that their good games are insanely good and their bad games are insanely bad, which which passes the eye test. And the Saints could could win a game like that if they had their guys. But they went over the cliff last week in terms of injuries. Like it was cute to like Trevor Simeon and Sean Payton's cooking up plays. And like, yeah, that all makes sense when you have two all pro tackles and Alvin Kamara with the worst collection of skill position talent on the outside of any team in the NFL. Now you just have the least talented offense in the NFL period. Maybe Armstead's back, but it doesn't sound like Kamara's Ingram might be out that Marcus Davenport who has been their best defensive lineman might be out too on defense. So even if you get like a great defensive effort, this is this is it. I would I would rank them thirty two of thirty two teams in terms of offensive talent, like where they are lot, now. That, that's a lot to overcome. Yeah, yeah. without those three they, guys. I mean, where would could... you have ranked up at the start of the year? Because I'd say start of the year they were still in the twenties. Right. Yeah, I would say they were in the twenties. But you, when you have two All Pro tackles and a really good center and Alvin Kamara and a great coach, it's like they were finding ways to get it done. 
And now it just, I don't it, think anyone could get it. You Saints can't just can, coach up for 17 straight games. At some point, right. it's, you know, talent's got to take over. If the Saints, um, you know, can make it happen, because notoriously they never seem to have a lot of ca- uh, salary cap space, maybe that's changing. I haven't checked in on their, uh, I haven't checked oh, their no. books in a while. They're like 60 over going into next year. Yeah, I, I mean, because I was going to say, they, they make so much sense as a team that would have a really hyper-aggressive offseason beefing up that offense, but perhaps financially that is not an option, but then they will use the draft obviously um, to add pieces because yeah, with Kamara out uh, they're ordinary. If you take Ingram out, who's got a bad knee and he's, he didn't practice on Tuesday after practicing Monday, which is not a great sign. uh, Then you really get into a dark place. So I think there's a situation here where I think Buffalo can not necessarily overcome their offensive issues, uh, but still win like a 17 to 10 type game. Uh, but I think uh, Bills fans might be sweating this one out. And if you look at their schedule, man, you know, they had a, a great win way back in week five on October 10th. They beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead 38 20. And that was the fourth straight win. They had beaten the Texans 40 zip before that, blown out Washington, Miami before that. And they were, you know, pretty much seen as the best team in the AFC. Since then, they lose to Tennessee uh, by, by a field goal, 34-31. They hit their bye. They beat Miami, and they beat the Jets, uh, Miami when they were at their lowest. And they've lost to Jacksonville and Indianapolis. Uh, so there's just not been a lot of signature wins for this team in quite a long time. So the concern, if you're a Bills fan, is real. But I'm also I'm not ready to jump off ship here. I think this is a team that it's all there. They just need to put it together. I think they but win it, this game. Even a week ago, you know, they're being called the best team in the AFC. And well, that's by default though. That's because the AFC is so weird right right, now. But default doesn't exist at this point. In my mind, for me, I like I'll, I'm fine crowning no one with that title at this moment, but they were like embarrassed by the Colts. They knew what the Colts were going to do. The Colts just went and did it to them. Um, You know, you know, their defense was, was a non-factor. It was a negative factor. I just, to me, I totally see what Greg is saying about the variance. When they're, they're bad, they look completely unprepared for prime time on any level. Well, they're a very lightweight team, just in general. They're a light, fast defense. And you do look at the AFC and you look at the other teams in it. Tennessee, New England, Baltimore, Cleveland, if they got there. These are power-running teams. And I think that could be a problem for, for the Bills in some matchups. Colts. All right, let's start the draft. Let's get into it. Mark, you have the first overall pick. Well, I'm going to go with the game that just this is what I did last week, and it it delivered one of my favorite um, weeks of the season. I'm just going to go after simply what I enjoy the most, and it's Minnesota at San Francisco. I think it is arguably the game of the week to me. I mean, this, by the way, this week is special. Week 12, it is the first time in NFL history where nine games feature one 500 plus team versus another 500 plus team in week 12 or beyond that we've waited for a week like this. So let's see if it delivers or if it's history in the making. I didn't know that history in the making. Yes. But I think with the Vikings, you know, at this point having to go to San Francisco, that would scare me in the past. What we are seeing right now is a Vikings team playing at the height of their powers, watching that green Bay Minnesota game was a total delight and Justin Jefferson, I don't know what else we can say about what he's showing on tape, who he is. He is one of the more fascinating athletes around today, and that they've used the past two games to focus on him to such a degree 
it changes who they are. It's changed Kirk Cousins. Greg, this is notable to you that Mike Zimmer, they asked, what is going on with Kirk Cousins? Are you happy with him being as aggressive as he is? And he said, yes. He said, also, our relationship has changed. Greg has been tracking mm. the Cousins-Zimmer relationship all season. It has obviously been fraught. They seem at times to be hugging slash punching each other at the same time. But Zimmer, I think, is on board with what's happening. And they, they, they can play this way. They can beat anyone in the league. And I'm willing to say they can probably lose to a lot of teams, too, if you get the old version of the Vikings. But what I also find appealing is that you are getting the Niners right now at the height of their power. And their season is still hanging in the balance. They're on the fringe of the NFC playoff race, but very much alive if they took this game or next. The way they've been running the ball, um, eating up 40 minutes of time of possession a week, they've been utterly dominant. And it wasn't just the Jaguars. It was over the Rams. And you've got Debo Samuel, who's going to want to go do what Devontae Adams did to Xavier Woods a week ago. But Debo Samuel so versatile that he led the team in rushing a week ago. He led them in receiving two weeks ago. I think this to me is the greatest game out there this week. I'm all aboard. I'm all about it. I, it makes sense to me. You had to take this now because it's the team of Zeus TL versus the team of Sestiel. That Ooh, thing wasn't it making it back. You know, this wasn't making it back around. Kind kind of like your your second teams that that you both uh, enjoy watching. An impossible game to pick. I feel well like. said. I love it. I don't necessarily think it's a i see san francisco's favored which surprised me just because i at don't know home. i know but like they haven't been good at home i know they were last week and i just feel like minnesota has shown more this season than the niners but i guess you just got to put a lot into what's happened the last couple of weeks it's a great matchup and i do i do want to see um quietly jimmy g has put together his his longest run of solid play i know he had a terrible miss on that 20 play drive it should have been a touchdown uh but in general he's been better and he's staying on the field um i love how they're using debo samuel um that is excellent usage of him but yeah i think the vikings are just a team that you know no matter what happens here this isn't going to be a blowout they've now shown uh that this is who they are they are going to score points they are going to have stretches where perhaps the offense goes cold and the defense uh, struggles that lets teams back in games and I think that's what makes them so fun that they always are involved in uh, high scoring affairs and they always give the other team a chance to win it so I think this is not a game uh, that I would lock as much as I like the Vikings because they just haven't earned the trust of a lock uh, but at the same time uh, I do like their chances because I still think they are as good as anybody in the NFC um, right now I have them number 10 in the power rankings at five and five, which again speaks to what's going on in the league right now more than anything else uh, that there's the parity is so strong this season, but that is my feeling. Mm. I'm all in on the Vikes. I like them, but I don't trust them. Well, I, I don't trust them this week too, because that's, you know, an emotional division win, big game. You go on the road and you're going to be missing two starters. I assume on the defensive line, one Dalvin Tomlinson, who's probably their best run stopper is out. And then Everson Griffin, who uh, was involved in an incident which required police, which is still unfolding as we're taping this. But he posted some messages on social media that were disturbing. And he was afraid that people were going to shoot him. So he's had mental health scares before. And this seems very serious. And you obviously just hope he's OK. But just like in terms of the matchup, those two guys being gone versus a uh, a San Francisco offensive line that's just killing it. Um, PFF noted like Trent Williams has the highest grade of any run blocker in the history of them 
grading right now. Like he Whoa. is having an epic season. They also are number one in EPA expected points, um, you know, per play since the moment that Kyle Shanahan was on the fence about starting Jimmy Garoppolo. The moment where I think he would have gone to Trey Lance actually was after that Colts game, but Trey Lance wasn't healthy enough to play that week. Remember he was like, I, they asked him and he was like, I would guess so when they, when he asked if Jimmy G would start, but Trey Lance wasn't ready that week. And since then they're number one in EPA with all these long, slow drives that uh, gets Marco. And, and it is fun to watch. It is funny though, to, to think of this matchup as like, you know, it's Kyle versus the one that got away. You know, he's watching this Kirk Cousins having his best season ever tape and being like, man, if we had that guy, we'd win the Super Bowl. He was he so loved, fascinated with Cousins Kirk. for so long. And he never got, I mean, Cousins would do this in spurts, but right now you're getting like an unbridled bad boy version of Kirk Cousins that uh, he's winning me over. <laughs> he used to win me over. Although if, if the Packers had like held on to either of those interceptions that he almost threw, and I thought he played a really good game overall, but then just like the story is different coming out of that. And that was why Zimmer was asked about it. Cause Kirk Cousins said after the game, maybe I shouldn't have been so aggressive. And, and Zimmer's whole thing was, and now you're getting the sense, maybe it's more about Kirk than the offense. Zimmer said like, we've been telling him to be aggressive all season. Like we want him to keep taking those shots and throw it to Jefferson. We'll be better off that way. That's sports. I know what you're saying. I saw other people saying, oh, it wasn't a great game by Cousins. Oh, that was a good game. It's the it way it works. Game. It's the way it works. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you don't. Um, they're attacking downfield, and that's made the offense so much better. All right, uh, Greg, you're up next. I am, and I'm going to take the uh, the homer pick. I'm taking Titans. I'm taking Patriots. I'm taking Vrabel versus the man who taught him how to set an edge, Bill Belichick. <laughs> Um, the Titans are so weird. Someone noted in like their last eight games, the team that had fewer yards, you know, won six of those eight. They just have these bizarre games like they did a a week ago. And a lot of times they were coming out on top in these games where they would look like they were outplayed and then they'd win the game. I just think they're in a similar situation right now. If AJ Brown is out as we're taping this, we don't know. But not only do you lose A.J. Brown, Marcus Johnson, who had stepped up nicely in Julio Jones's absence, is out for the season. Um, this team is so injured that they're doing walkthroughs on Wednesdays, which is, you know, some teams do that, but it's unconventional. But in, Vrabel doesn't want to do that. He just is saying, we're so injured right now. We really can't hold like a full practice. And I, I think what it is helping to um, come out now that Henry's not there is that their pass protection stinks. It's one thing for Tannehill to try to carry this team without the players, but this is one of the worst offensive lines in the entire league in terms of protection. And that's like a big change from previous years. And I think this is a Patriots team on defense with actual pass rushers that can take advantage of bad offensive lines more, more than any Patriots team I've seen in a while. This is a terrible spot for the Titans. I mean, it is, Really bad. They, you know, they're still in good shape in that division, but keep an eye on the Colts here surging. Um, the the fact that they are missing these players, the fact that they have a bit of an identity crisis post Derrick Henry, the fact that the Patriots get after you as a quarterback, and Tannehill just came off that game where he was throwing the ball to the other team repeatedly uh, when they had chances to get back in that game. I just think this is a bad bad timing for the Titans. I'm locking up the Patriots here. I think this is uh, this is a game that they are going to continue to roll. They will roll into Orchard Park at eight and four and in first place because I think they're catching the Titans at the exact right time. And the Titans, if they are fortunate enough to make the playoffs, which they t- probably will, 
if they're healthy and they see New England again, maybe even up in Foxborough, I might feel differently about the game. But right now, I think this is a really well set up situation for Belichick and friends. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest non-stories of the season was Adrian Peterson, who was let go by the team. (laughs) And I I hear you that the Saints on paper right now look like the worst offense, but the Titans are getting close with the bodies they're putting out there. And I like, who do you trust the most in this contest? I'm looking at a Patriots defense that week to week is throttling people left and right. And on offense, just keep running the ball and get, you know, lower mistakes from Mac, from Mac Jones than what the Titans offer. And, And we're good here. I mean, this, this really, there's no excuse for New England not to win this thing. Right. I don't totally dismiss the Titans in this game because their defense and Vrabel's coaching has earned such a great benefit of the doubt. Uh, I'm surprised the Patriots are almost a touchdown favorite in this game. It keeps going up. It's up to six and a half, which Ooh. I, I, you know, I, I didn't I, think I didn't think it would be that close, but no, uh, I, it wasn't earlier. And it just people people see these injuries and they're and they're worried about it. And yet I don't feel entirely comfortable because I, I do think the Titans have something you can't measure. They're also the team, I think, that helped rebuild this entire Patriots organization when they beat up on the Patriots in that game. Not that Tom Brady was necessarily coming back, but in that playoff game a year and a half ago, I think Bill Belichick left and hated the fact that the Titans were like the bigger, stronger, more physical team, better looking team coming off a bus. Not that Tom Brady would be there now, but you look at the way the Patriots are built now. Big dudes. I think they're so different with Trent Brown in the lineup, too. They're just a mauling group up front. But on both sides, it's like they're they're trying to be like the Titans. And I think right now they're a little better version. of what, it. One little thing on Trent Brown. Is it just me? Um, he looks like an adult baby to me. Like he looks like he has a baby's head on an adult's body. I'll leave the comment right there. But I, whenever he is um, unhelmeted, that is my takeaway on his appearance. I Can see where you're going. Quote. Can we get that quote to Trent Brown? Well, it's I, the by the way, that's not to suggest that he's not a good looking man. It's just that he he has sort of a babyish oh, face. That's not I mean, there's a difference between saying somebody has a baby face like a Zach Wilson type and saying he actually looks like he has a baby's head. I mean, well, I, he's can't, also, I can't win on this show today, but I'm not is, trying to kill the guy. Just <laughs> it is an observation that I have made. And, you know, he, it is not an attack on anyone. I, I wouldn't argue, and yet I also would never say that if I knew Trent Brown could possibly hear it. He is 6'8", he is 375 pounds, and yet he is faster than all of us. That, that is quite a combination. Pretty good. The, the streets that, are rumbling. That's why it's stunning to me, though, that I see a baby's head on top of a 6'8 body. So, right. I mean, you know, you what don't was see that, it every day. Just that the streets are rumbling with my, you know, insanely witch powers about whichever team I lock <laughs> – the other one wins. And I feel like I should, you know, use this time to lock the Titans, but I am actually so afraid of this game that Mm. I'm, I'm actually afraid. Okay. But it's working every week when you lock against. That is true. Right. And, but I just feel so bad bad for for Justin and, you know, but Dan, I love you. You, Mm. you pick the Patriots. So I just feel like it's fair if I lock the Titans. Oh, good. You know that that always that leads to good things for the person on the other side of the ledger. Another oh, lock off between Ricky and I. All right. Let's hit pause here. We'll be right back. All right. Let's move on. I will grab a late game. The Rams at the Packers. Yum. Want to see this all, you know, after the Rams hit the bye week and the whole thing about the Rams was oh, they can't even tackle anybody. They're so soft. They're so weak. 
And I wonder if Sean McVay is a great head coach. Uh, didn't clip off a few of those conversations that have been had in the mainstream media about how the Rams aren't a real rugged team. They're not a real football team. They're not going to be able to handle it uh, in the crucible of the playoffs and all that stuff. I mean, I feel like that's pretty good motivation. Uh, and now you get a test right off the bat. You go to Lambeau Field to face the Packers. Um, and I just think this is this is a great game. And this is, and I know right now uh, you, you look at the NFC and the Cardinals are deservedly so seen as the best team in that conference. But I, I wonder if at top gear, if the two best teams still ultimately are the Rams and Packers and whether it will play out that way in January. I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility uh, that that these teams have that ceiling to be playing in the NFC title game. So I kind of see that as a potential preview of that. I think this is another coin flip game. It's going to be a lot of fun to see it. And if you're a Rams fan, you want to see Matthew Stafford rise to the challenge here after a couple down weeks and go toe-to-toe uh, with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers with a bad toe, by the way. So you got two healthy toes against one healthy toe. Advantage, Los Angeles. I just, I'd also think, toe or not, Aaron Rodgers last week looked insane. I thought it was one of the best games I've seen him play in a long time. I mean, some of the throws he was making, the one across his body to Josiah DeGora for his first touchdown ever was wild. I mean, just thought he was all over the place. But if you're Matthew Stafford, if you're Cooper Cup, if you're Sean McVay, you have to also like what the Vikings did to that defense. You've got to think there's opportunities there. I thought Sean McVay, uh, who is, you know, I thought after that Super Bowl loss, we were at the Combine. Sean McVay was up on the Good Morning Football risers doing an interview with Peter Schrager and friends. And like, to me, it just seemed like it still haunted him. There was something gone in his swagger. And, you know, he's gotten it back here and there. But after that loss to the Niners and going into the bye week, his comments were, I thought, is telling and desperate and humbled as I've heard a coach, at least from mm. him, at all. And I mean, I think that they probably are coming out to your point, Dan, hyper determined to reverse the narrative that they're a, that they're a soft team inside this NFC playoff race. I don't buy that. I don't think any of us truly do. We're talking about guys like Aaron Donald, but they were pushed around legitimately. This is not this kind. The Packers aren't going to do it to you the same way as those teams might have. But this is a dangerous scenario because if they suddenly drop this game, the Rams, a lot of questions are raised. I think the Packers like have something about them that you can't quite measure this season. You know, whether you want to call it mojo or camaraderie, I don't know what it is. Like they've won in such tough situations. And I think that does build up over the course of the season. I don't know if the Rams have had that. Like the Rams seem worse than their numbers. The Packers seem better than their numbers. And yet this week, even if I like the Packers better long-term is a nice week to catch Green Bay, who's kind of limping to their bye week. They they have the, one of these late buys. Jen, Elton Jenkins is out for the season. We know Bakhtiari had a setback in his knee recovery and he had another surgery and they still hope he's going to come back this season, but it's not for this game. So the offensive line is very thin. And yet I'm with you, Mark, like that, that Rogers performance, was that like a warning to the rest of the NFC? Cause I thought that was the best game he had all season. It's been like Aaron Rodgers' game manager all year. And that was just like Aaron Rodgers 2020 MVP. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. The last, the last four possessions, he threw four touchdowns. And like, <laughs> it was one of those things where the Vikings only chance was that the clock played out the way it did and they had the ball last and they kept Rogers off the field. So yeah, I think that's, that's going to be a fun to watch. I mean, he did, he did pump it up um, the, the serious nature of the toe issue um, after the game. So I guess it is worth uh, watching, but it certainly didn't seem to bother him 
in that game. It seems like Mason Crosby has 10 injured toes to me, but Nate, that's a whole different conversation. You know, he's only on that team. Let's face it. He's been so bad. He's only on the team because of the relationships he's established there with Aaron Rodgers and the trust he's earned over being as good as he's been uh, overall in his career, but he's become a major liability for them. You wonder if it's at this point, the auditioning for kickers has to be one bad game away uh, at this point. Um, All right. Oh, this draft really set up well here um, for Tugboat. Yeah, getting that third is pretty nice. I will grab and I will run to Tampa Bay at Indianapolis um, in the early window. Great, great game. The Bucks on Monday night uh, really, it was clinical. It was exactly the type of win uh, that you want. They started 6-1. and one. They hit that bump in the road with back-to-back losses. They hit the bye and then come back and uh, just take care of a Giants team that was totally lost and we'll get to the Giants and the Jason Garrett news uh, when we get to their game but Tampa was just more of the same I thought that they're just taking care of business biding their time they're going to get their you know 11 12 13 wins and then we'll be see you in January and they're gonna they'll be ready to roll uh, barring any serious injury I feel so good about them on a week-to-week basis even with the somewhat recent struggles however they go to Indianapolis and face a Colts team that fears nothing, fears no God right now uh, because they have the most unstoppable player in the league at this time, uh, unless you you know want to go on Justin Jefferson corner. Um, Jonathan Taylor is such a beast, and it will be a gr- great challenge. I don't know where Vita Vea is. Um, sounds like such, he, he sounds like he's going to play. He's such an important uh, part of their run defense and really everything that Tampa does. But Taylor – has, I believe, eight straight games now with over 100 yards from scrimmage. He was completely unstoppable in Buffalo. So you have a great Bucks team, a champion on the road against a Colts team that's feeling itself, pumping in my veins with a fourth overall mm. pick. Yeah, that's a great one. It's it's two really good run defenses. The Colts are top two, I think, right now, and the, and the Bucks are always great. But doesn't it feel like one matters more than the other? It's like, if, yeah, if, if you stop the Bucks running, so what? You know, if if, if the Bucks it doesn't least, matter, if, if you can slow down Jonathan Taylor running, then then they're in big trouble. Even a guy as good as Jonathan Taylor, to me, it, it's football. It's like he's partly a function of his surroundings. Early in the season, the offensive line's totally banged up. He's pretty much held in check the first month of the year. Now that like the numbers show that he's not getting touched before contact, sometimes until four yards per carry per play which is insane it's like two yards more than any other team it's because that offensive line is playing so well and and he's the most talented i think best pure runner that there is in terms of making people miss breaking tackles going long so that combination is in is, is unstoppable i don't think the colts will be one of those teams like the patriots are and other teams that that look at the bucks and are like oh we're not gonna run they're still gonna try to run it's just like who's gonna be better well, it was a week ago we were talking about Buffalo's defense right. and how, you know, the railroad probably stopped at that point for Indy. Indy went in and said, we're just going to continue to do it more and more. And they blew the doors off of Buffalo. I, you know, I, I, on the blocking front, Nate Tice had a, I thought he was he pointed out very in good fashion how Jack Doyle has been a huge part of that as well for Jonathan Taylor. They, they are suddenly this team that I think could beat anyone in the AFC. I mean, they, they look phenomenal. I don't know if it's a hard knocks HBO type of spiritual metaphysical bump they're receiving but it's real and it's the rare game where i feel like tom brady this doesn't happen it's not really the a storyline it, it is jonathan taylor and the one thing i note about the the bucks and when they get hot they get hot so who cares but 
they have been huge variance wise in home and away splits. They're scoring 15 fewer points per game on the road and allowing 11 more points per game Hmm. away from Raymond James stadium. It's been happening all year long. So from that angle, I kind of like the idea that the Colts just can keep doing what they're doing and say, come bring it, Tom Brady, but we're going to bring something back your way too. You got to disguise stuff though, defensively, and they can do it more than the Giants did Monday night. I know we didn't get a chance to recap that game, but it's crazy just how well Brady is moving right now. I, I swear, and maybe it's just like memory. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I swear, I've watched every Brady start of his career, right? And like he moves better now than he did in 2001. There's just no question. People joke about that 12 yard gain he had, which he was all fired up about. Like he is faster now, I think, than he was in 01, 03, 04. And he's absolutely as good in terms of moving around in the pocket. It's it's insane. It's he's yeah, the I MVP. Have... F Jonathan Taylor. F, F him. Brady. Wow, that's strong. <laughs> Um, I guess I would, I'm dubious. I would like to take the, the stopwatch out 21 or 24 versus 44. But at the same time, like, man, who knows? He's, he's obviously put in a lot of work. Um, I think maybe what makes him seem more nimble is just how much he, uh, you know, dominates in terms of the mental side of things and his ability to quickly react more quickly than most quarterbacks knowing when to now flee the pocket or when to step up. He just, everything is in slow motion for Brady, obviously. Um, and he just seems more nimble as a result. I don't know. It's, it's, it's obviously one of the great uh, medical marvels in the history of professional sports in our country. How about that? <laughs> Taking it up a notch. All right. Great game. Love it. Let's pick that game. What the hell? I took the bucks on the old uh, NFL.com slash game picks. Uh, How you doing, uh, by the way, in that? In general, are you having a? It's not. It has to be a very difficult season to pick games. Obviously, I mean, it's hard to not great. My against the spread is like six or seven over, which is which is not great, but not terrible either. What's like industry average? Are you in that? In the? I have no idea. I'm sure my my straight up picks are probably bad. The against the spread, I would think average would be close to 500. So I'm slightly above that. Nothing. Who's to killing you? Who's killing you week after week? The team that every time you pick them to cover, mm. or they don't. I think I like gave up on the Eagles right when they became good after having way too much faith in them for a while. So I mean, if probably, you finished with a it. a troubling record at the end of the season, what happens in house? Does you know Ali Banpori? Yeah, you're taking you over. You on the hand or something? You, you're taking over. You've got it next. Well, year. why would they you, put? Me you get two like... columns instead of one. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, Greg, it has worked its way back to you after the snake slithers away. All right, I'll take the remaining late game on the docket. That's Chargers Broncos. And what are you gonna do? You know, uh, two teams I don't have any feel <laughs> for whatsoever. Like two total disappointments. Um, Two defenses that are very similar in their strengths, in which they don't really have right now, in their weaknesses, which are built in. Brandon Staley got to where he is because of Vic Fangio, came from a small college school to work for him in Chicago, uh, and then in Denver, too. So he's been on this Broncos staff, Brandon Staley. It's amazing how quickly like his career rose. He was like a linebackers coach a couple of years ago. And... Their defenses are both terrible, and I trust Justin Herbert more in this game than I do uh, Teddy, of course, but I kind of just expect uh, both offenses to win. I expect it to be a high-scoring game. Wow. I think you, you can't was... fall here if you're, if you're L.A. You can't. You can't this is, you're 6-4. and four. You'd be 7-4. and four, put you in a great spot. you got the Bengals and Giants after that, 
and then you're off and running. And, and like Justin Herbert, which we, we, we watched with our eyes live on Sunday night. I mean, I think it's not just his arm. It's what he did with his legs in that game. I, he, he is someone that's going to challenge Denver in every possible way. And I kind of love these coaches when they know each other this well. And it is mentor versus, you know, pupil versus teacher. Um, you know, that these things don't always amount to much, but it's kind of spicy going in. I, I think it's you might be trying to project that into the world. The, the Broncos can engage in a shootout, Greg. I don't know. I know LA wasn't overly impressive on defense. I mean, the Steelers just engaged in a shootout. Yeah. The Broncos are an above average offense or an average offense just by the numbers. They put 30 on the Cowboys a few weeks ago. I just mean like anyone can get in a shootout with this Chargers defense right now. I know that. But if you look at even the game last week against Pittsburgh, um, some of those drives weren't exactly marathon marches down the field for Pittsburgh. I know they, they, they were able to tally up points. Um, I understand that you may not trust L.A., but I don't think Teddy and the Broncos really have shown that they they can go toe-to-toe if it's one of those good days for the Chargers offense. I guess I want to see consistency from the uh, Los Angeles attack. We saw it, obviously, against a deeply undermanned Pittsburgh defense. That's a totally different game of T.J. Watts playing. It's a totally different game of, of Mickey Fitzpatrick's playing and Joe Hayden's on the field. So show it to me. Show me that you can do it back-to-back weeks and, and really start gaining some momentum in the season. I think it's a really important game for the Chargers if they want us to kind of take them seriously as a credible AFC contender. I think it's fair because like they, they rolled against Pittsburgh 533 yards, but that came a week after they put up 250 against the Vikings. They had 200 against the Ravens, and this was what we thought. I mean, defense, we'll see, but we thought this offense – had a chance with Herbert to to shine. And it's been somewhat disappointing. But if they look like they did last week, that Steelers defense was right. missing a lot of guys too. So I don't put everything on that game. But they're starting to warm up. We should point out, since we last talked Broncos, they've signed Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, both to big long-term deals. Love Tim Patrick. Like what it. a story to bounce around the league, undrafted guy, gets a nice contract. I think a nice deal for Denver, frankly. He was almost underpaid but i get taken the, the guarantee you got and sutton staying long term too and you got jerry judy obviously under that rookie contract for another uh three years after this season uh if you picked up his option it's almost like really well set up for them to go whether you know it's the draft or free agency or trade to say hey we have pieces here come here and be our matt stafford um that they're kind of setting things up that way it seems unless teddy can go on a heater here and keep himself in the mix we shall see still a lot of football to play in the season by the way i asked ricky to look it up for me and she uh she did it she did a nice job with it we talked about it last week at length about how home teams are actually under 500 through 10 weeks of the season things did not get better in week 11 the home teams won six games uh, and lost nine. So six and nine they went last week. So they're now four games under 500 as we hit Thanksgiving. So keep an eye on that. Doesn't matter if the Broncos are home. Doesn't matter that anybody's home in this strange. <laughs> what about what about the air? air? People like to talk a lot about uh, the air. Well, they yes, get tired. Yeah. That's the advantage. All yeah, right, so Mark. That's have you ever gone skiing or something like that in Denver as a kid? Like I did, and like you are hideously sick for about 24 hours. I'm just telling you, it's real. It's a real phenomenon. I know. I just feel like um, you don't hear as much uh, about it when like the Broncos are getting drilled by the Eagles. Last no, it seems home. to not play as much then. Um, all right. You want me to pick a game? I'll do it. I would like you to. Yes. I'm going Pittsburgh at Cincinnati in the early time slot there. Nice. nice. Good old AFC North. 
battle between two teams. And I think it's at a t- major turning point for both. I mean, the loser of this is in a little bit of trouble. I I really thought Cincinnati, like they, you know, that game was close against the Raiders last week at the end, but Joe Mixon is not getting talked about enough. I don't know if just because there's so many other running backs that are having good seasons, but he's quietly, you know, fourth in the league in rushing. He had a monster, he's had a couple a monster game last week. And I thought he just ran really hard. And, and that, you know, they didn't have him for, 10 games last year and, and they didn't have Burroughs. So that, that, that this all leads to why the transformations happen a little bit on offense and chase, you know, Jamar chase. I want to see what happens against Pittsburgh because he's had three games in a row where he's been under 50 yards. And, you know, Mike Tomlin basically said, yeah, because it's the product of a rookie showing that he's earned the respect of, of game planners. And like they are, there was, there was a play last week where they threw him like a slant and like he had three guys on him. So it's going to be a different journey for him, but Pittsburgh you know, we just talked about that Chargers game and how they rolled over this defense. T.J. Watt coming back. Mika Fitzpatrick sounds like he's coming back. Joe Hayden. That helps a lot. I thought last week what they were able to do was basically put a ton of attention on Cam Hayward. And it mostly worked when he wasn't batting a pass that was intercepted or punching Justin Herbert in the chest while he was on the ground. Obscene. I don't know why you even know why he's eligible this week. How are we getting away with that? But anyways, this, this is going to be a bloodbath right down to the end. I almost mm. locked up the Steelers. But I'm a little too freaked out by offense. Yeah, that, they're, that they're like tough. five point underdogs too. Uh, this deal, right? You know, the, I friends. think this is how I see the AFC North right now. Um, so in the power rankings, I have Ravens at 13, Browns at 14, Bengals at 15, Steelers at 19. I think there is a difference. I think that the Steelers are just a tick below these teams. Hmm. Certainly, when they're compromised, uh, as they were on Sunday. Um, now we'll see where are we at physically on their defense? Are we going to have these guys back in the field? Uh, because that makes obviously a big difference, but I just, I don't like their chances uh, if Cincinnati's moving the ball well, and they need big Ben in this offense to score points. I just don't see it on a week to week basis. Uh, it just seems like an old team and it really stood out to me. And this is, you know, we were just talking about Tom Brady at age 44 appearing to be by some eyes to be faster than he was when he was 24. Uh, Big Ben, that is nobody saying that about him. And I think it really stood out to me in that game against the Chargers that when a play broke down for L.A., they had a young quarterback who was able to escape the pocket. He ran for 90 yards. That was the most yardage you've ever seen in, uh, from a Chargers quarterback, actually. And when a play breaks down for the Steelers, when things aren't set up perfectly right and the protection isn't there, it's over. It's a wrap because Ben is maybe the, the greatest and the most obvious Stone Age pony uh, Mark, since uh, late period Dan, Dan Marino at this stage. Uh, so <laughs> I think that's a problem for Pittsburgh's offense, that the quarterback is so immobile that it, it takes away just any element of surprise and getting plus plays out of negative situations. Well, and he doesn't have the big arm to make up for it now, too. You mentioned that play to Claypool last week where he kind of underthrew him deep. Killed him. That, that said, I think seven points. Right. That said, I think their best two Ben games of the year are the last two. And I think the offense is at least trending up. You know, you said like they didn't exactly light it up. Every drive they had was successful until the last two. I mean, they got, they got stuck at the two yard line, but the only three drives they had in the first half, they marched right down the field against the chargers. Then they put up a lot of points on short fields, which is lucky. And they couldn't come through in the end, but they did move the ball pretty well. And I, I think they, there's just something beyond like, 
who's playing, who's not, that when I see Mike Tomlin speaking on Tuesday and I think about like the fact he's never had a losing record, and I, I disagree with you on in terms of your power rankings where I'd put this division, I'd put the Ravens at, ahead of the pack. I'd probably have them as about a top 10 type of team, eight, eight or nine. And I put the other three in a jumble, all very equal. And there's something about this Steelers organization that there, it's not about like X's and O's that like, I just look at this and I just feel like there's something with this Steelers team and Tomlin that I just, I think they're going to overachieve in the end. I just, in that overachieving is 10 and seven and probably losing in the wild card round. But that that's the type of team I see with this, with this group. You know what? You convince me. What? I'm going to go stick with my initial instinct. Wow. I'm locking up Pittsburgh. Ooh. This is the kind of game they win. This is the kind of game they win. That's a good one. That's a, that's an onion hanger right there, Marky. That is. I like it. We, we're going out underdogs uh, across the board here on on um, lock so far with Dan to go. West took one. The Wesleyan. No, Brothers. I got I I got a favorite, a heavy favorite, as it turns out. I have Erica. Oh, that's right. Dan took the Patriots. Erica took one. I got the Lions. What a week. And watch, I'll be the only one who loses. That's how these things <laughs> That's how it work. goes. Especially in really 2021. Fa- favorites, not only are home teams losing, favorites, I think, have a losing record over the last three weeks, too, combined. So that's pretty crazy. All right, Mark, uh, you have the snake here. After this. I do have the snake. I'm going to go Carolina at Miami. Um, you know, I, I, I typically try to take a game that is like an ultra trash bag as my second early game. But I, I'm intrigued. Uh, by the Panthers as much as any team around right now. And I don't think it's just Cam Newton's um, arrival. I get that. So it's like an know, ultra trash bag. Is that like the the quality? Is it like a trash bag that you, it's on the top shelf in the trash bag uh, aisle of the grocery store? And it's really made of the type of materials that it will not break, it will never rip, it will never let you down? Or is an mm. ultra trash bag at the bottom shelf and it's the one that's sold by the company? It's like the supermarket version of it. And yeah. you put more than a certain amount of weight in it, and it will just come <laughs> crashing through the box. Yeah, because the top of the shelf scenario sounds like a compliment. Um, I'm thinking more like you know, it, you, you get your trash picked up, and it's the first like smelly bag of trash you put in the trash can. Sure. And it's still there at the bottom um, a week later when the trash trucks come by again, and it's probably worse than ever. That's well, that's it. And you know what? That's a different uh, take on it. I didn't even consider right. looking at it from that. So you're saying like. The, the physical placement of the trash within the bin. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, the stench. I mean, the stench coming off a bad team. The first of all, it wouldn't be, you know, rolled up in a nice little box. It would be, it would, it would be hideous to the nose. Um, so I almost, you know, but then I almost went Jets, Houston, but that's just too bad. I can't deal with that. But I, I want to I be interested in these teams. That's Carolina, an ultra trash bag. It is. I, Carolina to me, it's like, I get that it's Cam Newton is back, but it's Christian McCaffrey is the real transformation on this offense. Like the idea that like, you know, Darnold went for for weeks and weeks without him. He's got his own issues, but it's the perfect timing to have him and cam together. Exactly. Um, They ran a couple of trick plays last week. I think they're feeling themselves, but Matt rule came out of that game pretty furious actually with the fact they give 190 yards rushing saying that if you're in the race, good teams don't do that. They lead the league in penalties as well. So they're not a perfect team on any, by any stretch, but I think that they, the Panthers uh, at this point are warming up a little bit, um, as has the Dolphins' defense to some degree. So I'm kind of intrigued by that matchup. Um, I'm, I'm on the fringe of not buying into the Dolphins at all, but these were two teams I picked for the playoffs. So it's my which one will I be more right on by Sunday night? Bowl. I mean, 
the Dolphins, you're not going to be right on either way. Because I know we keep making this case they're like playing all these bad teams. They're still three games back right now in the loss column with well, like you never seven know, to Greg. play. You're going they, against type there by counting them out at this point. There's still, you know, seven, six, seven games to go. You're right. They, they got to win this one. In theory, they might have an offense that could do okay against Carolina because I think to beat them in their passers, either got to run the ball, and teams have done that pretty well a handful of times, or you got to just have that quick passing game uh, which is what the, pa- the Patriots were so afraid of this pass rush that they everything was like a three-step drop. And no one loves a three-step drop more than Tua. And Tua is very predictable at this point. He is a He's really good at the quick game. He makes the worst offensive line in the league look better, which is not nothing. That's something. Uh, and he can't do much down the field. It's just like not going to happen. But I, I think you could probably beat the Panthers that way. Thinking I, I would say now that we're starting to get a better look at Tua and you know I'm keeping the door open that he could really play well over the last month and a half and and change some minds maybe in that building but he doesn't necessarily strike you as a special player I I mean is it too soon to make a comment like that he doesn't have the physical tools in in a best case scenario he's like a poor man's Drew Brees which never struck you with physical tools that was always his path I don't know if you can get there but that's his path Hmm. all right uh Mark it uh was that your second that was my second. That was your snake. Okay, Greg, yes. it comes back to you. I'm trying to leave uh, a game open for Shook, you know, just to make it all work. So I'm taking Falcons Jaguars as my second game. I said it. <laughs> uh, this, you did say I, it. Not because I want to. It's sad that when uh, Jamal Agnew got hurt last week, he's out for the season for the Jaguars. It was like, oh, their offense is really in trouble now. It's like, this guy was getting cut and was a sixth receiver on other teams. He's a special teamer and he was a really key part of their passing attack. It, it's been, it's been tough to watch them. And yet they look at the Falcons this week and I'm sure they think, well, this is a team we could at least move the ball against. We should be able to protect Trevor Lawrence. We should have a game. We have not seen much progress out of this Jaguars offense, but this Falcons team, if they win this game, which they obviously can, they got to be one of the worst five and six teams we've had in, in a while. They are 32nd in DVOA, by the way, right now. They are, they are the worst team in the NFL, according to Ouch. DVOA. The five, and yet they could be five and six very realistically after this. I'd game. ask you this because I've been up and down on the Falcons and I w- was proven decisively. Well, that my battle is over on the ups for the Falcons <laughs> at this point. Let's put it that way. But which program under first year head coaches do you have more faith in going forward? The Falcons just because they're not the Jaguars. I mean, yeah, if, Rid- I mean that's, if not Rid- a, that's not a big bar to clear. I don't right. Think. If Ridley Hurst and Patterson were out there, I think you had, a, and then you, you fix some holes on the offensive line. You got an offense, at least that you can cook with a little bit, Wait, but, you know, so you, they, you but they're not out there. They're not Trevor there. Lawrence versus probably having to replace Matt Ryan down right but in the middle of which, Arthur Smith's which program. Regime. And to me, I'm already looking forward to the next Trevor Lawrence program. The, you know, so give, Trent, give him Trevor another Lawrence. program. This is it's a tough year for him. This has not been what he expected his rookie season to look like. Uh, I think he has eight touchdowns and 326 attempts uh, this season, but he needs help and he needs things to get calmed down there. It was too much of a circus this season as a rookie. Um, and we're not even to Thanksgiving yet, but he was I don't two know. for three for 13 yards last week. And the score was 17, nothing. He had literally done nothing wrong. Yeah, and it was the, like, it's, it's tough to watch him because you know, there's a really a promising potential superstar there. And he's just trapped in a bad situation. I think the Falcons and Arthur Smith uh, are in a very tough spot here because Matt Ryan looks shot to me. I know he can do it, 
when you protect him, but he is right. He's in that big Ben mold now as well. He's just too old and he's aging like the quarterbacks used to age where he's in his mid thirties now. And he's just, if you get to him with a pass rush, he will just get absolutely shellacked and the team will get blown out of the building. Um, I know he can put together stretches and he still has the accuracy and enough arm, but they owe him so much money still, but they also need to move on and get younger and more dynamic and get with the times that I think being the head coach of the Falcons at the end of Matt Ryan's career is not a great safe place to be because it's, it's, if he's the quarterback next year, um, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care what you build up around him. I think the season's going to have a similar look because he's just the player in decline. It reminds me a little bit. The situations are not exact, but the tough nature of it when Jimmy Johnson took over the Dolphins, like Jimmy Johnson and Dan Marino are going to take over the AFC. And like Dan Marino, you know, like two years later, <laughs> lost his final game like right. 60 to 70. But here's the difference. This is why this is uh, a different situation. Jimmy Johnson was one of the most heralded gets for any owner as a head coach in the last 30 years when he left the Cowboys and then ended up with the Dolphins. So he had that, that, that job security to be able to withstand the end of that era and then try to start a new one. It didn't work out obviously no. with Jimmy Johnson in Miami, but Arthur Smith does not have the, the pelts on the wall. So I just wonder if, if this season goes the way it's going and then he has another season where it doesn't go well because you have an old quarterback, you can't move. Now he's going to be two years in. That's what I mean by, I think Arthur Smith's in a little bit of danger based on the timing of Ryan's career. Yeah. They have a big off. They're going to have a big off season. They are, they're one team we could fork, even though I know they're uh, right in this, all that said about Matt Ryan. And I, I don't totally dis. I don't disagree with what you said, Dan, like you put him on the saints and they actually had their tackles in and stuff. It's like that team might go to the super bowl. So it's like, mm. I think Matt Ryan still has something to give. I, re- I really do. No, I, I think he's better at now than big Ben, for instance. So he's yes. not at that level, but he's also, it's a problem. And you saw it against, uh, against new England. Uh, for sure. All right. Let's take like a time bomb sitting on deep, deep down the train tracks and the train's not, it can't go left to right. It just has to go over the bomb. And he it just stresses me and out. The train gets blown up. Yeah, exactly. He just stresses me out when he rips off that helmet and he's got that red face <laughs> and <the> mad <laughs> eyes. It's just like, God, this is not going to get better. Red um, face. Let's close it out. Uh, you guys left me with the two New York teams who are, <laughs> they've lost 15 straight primetime games. Uh, New York sports is in a really bad place, uh, big picture wise, but specifically in the NFL. Of course, I'll grab the Jets at Houston. I'll be quick on this because we don't need to dwell on the game because who cares about the Texans? Uh, Good job getting that win last week, but you also potentially cost yourself the number one overall pick. So bad job. Uh, The Jets, it only the only thing that matters is Zach Wilson's playing again. And it is notable that since uh, Michael LaFleur, the brother of the bearded boy, um, had other quarterbacks with more experience and had their heads on their shoulders more, uh, excluding the Buffalo game when Mike White completely bombed out. The offense has been better since Zach Wilson left, and there are a lot of different factors in there that led to it, but the, the play of Zach Wilson, obviously, and how poor it was, was at the top of the list. Does he come back? Is he a better quarterback uh, upon his return? Does he grow and build uh, and down the stretch here, or does he have a, a really bad season all the way through? And then if you're a Jets fan, you're asking questions about, oh, God, is it happening again at quarterback? It's too early to make any decisions, but I will throw one thing out there, a hypothetical me and Claybon were talking in the newsroom yesterday. Would you we, – we see what's happening in Seattle. This, you know, this is all nonsense, but fun. 
Russell Wilson to the Jets for Zach Wilson, and they also send back that Seattle number one pick that they lost to Jamal Adams. So Zach Wilson in a one to Seattle for Russell Wilson. Who says yes? Who says no? I'm saying yes if if I'm the Jets. Say no if I was Seattle, I think. But um, because we, we have to see what happens there. I, if I was the Jets, I would say yes in a second because I think there's no more precious commodity in the league than a functional franchise, all-pro all type quarterback that you can build around immediately. I mean, Zach Wilson remains an unknown project at this point. Like the idea of him, but but that's that's that gets people fired if it goes south. A little bit, a little bit feisty that trade, right? Eh, no, I like it. it. Yeah. Also, like a lot of what? How, what do you have? Seven starts to go, so that's just as many as we've seen. There's a lot of runway to evaluate him. They they were dead last in EPA when he was the starter. They were ninth in offensive EPA in the starts that he missed missed overall. Yeah. So it, there's some you're garbage right. time in there too. But and there was yes, a lot of other true. factors. I don't think that's yeah. all on him. But you you do want to see him get, keep keep it rolling that they're at least competent and it, it's good. Good start for him to start off with Houston. Yep. I agree. All right. We have to uh, let's, we got one more game and then the primetime games. All right. Uh, the other giants, the other New York team, the Eagles at the Meadowlands against the giants uh, quick postmortem for the giants after Monday night, the offense, a total mess uh, against uh, the Bucks, they have multiple opportunities to make that a game, to maybe even steal that game, and they kept on getting bogged down. And people like Brian Baldinger, uh, Baldy, called out a specific play. And I'm not saying this is what got Jason Garrett fired, but I thought it was interesting that the Internet seized on that one particular play when the Giants against a three-man rush um, had three players all converging in the same spot eight yards downfield. Uh, and they're basically ping-ponging off each other, and Daniel Jones has nowhere to go with the ball, and Jason Garrett gets fired 24 hours later. Uh, so the Giants, they're starting over on offense, and I wonder, Mark, if do you think that is going to help Joe Judge now that Jason Garrett has been sacrificed uh, to the fans? I mean, I, it's a terrible spot for a coach when – you are in no it's November and you have to start producing scapegoats. Not that Jason Garrett, uh, you know, didn't deserve to be demoted slash let go. I think that's been, you know, in the in the soup for a long time. They've been talking about that happening, but I don't think it saves Joe Judge or is a good thing for Joe Judge because the overall makeup of this offense, looking at who they have personnel wise, it's inexcusable what they produced. Um, a lot of them have been injured, though, too. I think a week ago we're saying we can't judge Jason Garrett. We can't judge Joe Judge. We can't judge Daniel Jones because he's not on the field. And it's just like, look, at, at this point, like Joe Judge is saving his own job by getting rid of other people. That usually, now maybe not in the Giants organization, that usually is a stepping stone to waving goodbye to him come January. Right. I think, it, you know, it only helps him if the offense improves under Freddie Kitchens. I mean, this, that's the real big story here. It, it's the return of Freddie Kitchens to our life. Um, I I think you could look at Canarius Tony's usage alone and be like, that's a fireable offense. Just mm. because you see him, and I just see a super-duper star. who just His movement is exactly what every team in this sort of open NFL is looking for. He's electric. For. And they just haven't figured out how to use it. There was another play, a fourth and one, where Tony, Slayton, and Galladay weren't even on the field, and they just threw the most predictable, like, 
pass to their backup tight end and everyone was covered and Jones had no chance at that play. So I think it made sense absolutely to change offenses because it wasn't working and just try something different because I think everyone's getting swept out, including judge. If this continues, they are 18 and 40 under Gettleman. And all he talked about, which made everyone mad was we want to run the ball and we want to stop the run. They are 30th in stopping the run this year. They're terrible at running the ball. So even that idea, which didn't seem like a great idea, uh, has not played out at all. They, and I, th- I think they're all gone if, if they don't turn it around I, in some fashion. I think you're right. And I think they've made Saquon Barkley boring. And, you know, he's struggled to stay on the field. But even when he plays, he just he doesn't pop anymore like he did initially. And Kadarius Tony, we all see the same thing. When the ball's in his hands, he's so much fun. And Kenny Galladay has been uh, previously in recent seasons one of the best downfield uh, playmakers in the NFL when healthy. And neither of those guys have a single touchdown this year. So the Giants, obviously, uh, this was in a lot of ways overdue, even though it happened in the middle of November. Right. Compare the development of Kadarius Toney to Devonta Smith in Philly, who, who they'll see this week. I mean, it's just like you've got a general manager in New York who feels full of old ideas. They had an OC who was full of old ideas. And we're not sure what Joe Judge's ideas are. That's not mm. a good mix. Right. Um, the Philadelphia. I, I, Oh, I don't God. trust any defense stopping this Eagles rushing attack right now unless they got something special going on and the Giants do not. It does feel like the Eagles who are playing with a lot of confidence right now and they they have they have a uh, personality, they have a mindset that they're going to run run you over. I like their chances here. All right, let's hit pause here. We'll be right back. Prime time. Start with Sunday Night Football. The Cleveland Browns. Head to Baltimore against the Ravens. All right, Mark, well, just tee it up for you, buddy. How you feeling on this one? I like the idea that they uh, will have Kareem Hunt back, likely Jack Conklin back. I mean, you get back to being who they were. Maybe that can help Baker Mayfield coming off the worst game of his career. But I, I put a lot of what's happened on Baker Mayfield on Baker Mayfield, and I this team is in chaos to me. I, I don't trust them right now. Um, you asked who they were on our network show with the real Cleveland Browns. Please stand up. Uh, I think they are who they are. They're just a, a middling team right now that feels compared to a year ago, um, discombobulated, disorganized. I don't like watching them. They make me nervous. They make me agitated. Um, I don't like the idea of them going up against a Ravens team that, you know, when put with their backs up against the wall, losing the game, Tyler Huntley leads them to victory. That's who the Ravens are. And the Browns right now, I mean, they, yes, they've been extremely banged up. They produced six pressures last week against the Detroit Lions on defense. You just, even, even the defense, it feels like, is so hot and cold. There were a couple of weeks we're thinking this could be one of the best defenses in the league. Then they get utterly torched the next week. So I don't see anything consistent from week to week. They're unpredictable. I don't like them in this game. I don't like that they have this, then a bye week, then another Ravens game. I see it's very possible they lose both. And their season, I don't care about mathematically, their season spiritually and emotionally would be over at that point. Can they surprise us? Can they pull it out? I'm very close to switching my lock to the Ravens because I'm very annoyed with what's happening. Really? Because I was going to lock the Ravens. The only reason I didn't was just out of like, oh, that's mean to Mark. I am locking them up. Forget the Steelers. (laughs) I'm locking up the Ravens because you know what? They they, they have put me in this position. They've put me in this position at this point. Are you punishing the Browns right now? (laughs) <laughs> well, remember what I said to them on our show, obey me. Do not get whacked a couple weeks ago against that opponent. They got destroyed. And it's like they don't answer the call of the fans. 
Um, I, look at I love Kevin Stefanski, and I like the. <laughs> they idea don't that answer the call of the fans. I mean, what do you want them to do? And Baker just did an interview where he said, "I don't care about what the fans say." So I guess that checks. Well, out. that's the other thing I hear now. It's we're at the point where everyone is suggesting, and I'm not saying it's a loony suggestion that you ride Case Keenum. Now, I, the question I'd have is that is because no. you want to get Baker Mayfield healthy. If you want to try to get him healthy, he's got one injury that's not going away this season, no matter what. I think the Case Keenum fetish would would quell once you get a couple games of Case Keenum. That's I what have I'm a, saying. I have, I have, a, insane. I have a, um, a not a especially healthy comp here um, in terms of mental health. But when I was watching Baker play this past Sunday, he reminded me of like Mark Sanchez uh, when things really turned sour for the Jets. I mean, missing throws, just the offense being stuck in mud, no energy to the drives, no rhythm. Uh, I don't think it's crazy. I don't know. What, do we really think that Baker, if he really is as bad as he's been, uh, and a lot of it goes back to injuries, Case Keenum's one of the highest paid backups in the league. We we really don't think ba- Case Keenum can run this offense better than Baker in this current state? I mean, it's, it's crazy to bench Baker because I know he's hurt. He moved pretty well last week at points. He had some dimes in that game. And so that's where I have a pr- at struggle with like, well, he's hurt, so he's missing throws, or like the th- that's not why he's necessarily making bad decisions. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe he is too hurt, and that's a reason to bench him. But that that would be it. Like he had a couple throws in that game that were awesome. He just had about fifteen more that were head scratchers. Like he's leaving the pocket at the first sign of trouble. That goes back to his his rookie year. That's not I- an injury thing. I I do think that the Patriots game might have exposed a couple things too and how to attack this defense up the middle in terms of the running game that the lions had some success there they're letting clown like um garrett fly by Clowney's turned totally silent he had six games in a row with at least four pressures he has three total in the last four so that's been a big decline the the malik's up front mcdowell and jackson are kind of getting pushed around i I hate this game for the the Browns. I, I like I said, I was gonna lock it up, Mark, but I just thought that'd be mean spirited. But now you just locked it up, so I was just like, I well, I'm I not like I'm it. not at the point where if you go anti Browns with a take or something else that I can't absorb it. I get I it, it, but I, I see it I'm, too. I'm done. This, you know, I'm oh, I'm I'm so buried in last place that at at this point, I just wanted to like keep you, you know, stay on your good side. Seems more important. Well, not you're welcome I, to join plus me. I, off I the should, Lions Express, if you'd like. I'm right. Just, well, plus me locking is putting the stink on them, so maybe that's good. I don't even know. The final game, so, uh, Monday Night Football, <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks at Washington Football Team. All right. I mean, the Seahawks basically need to. We're getting into win out territory. Can't they flex this? They did flex the Seahawks out of uh, next week, next Sunday night's game. First flex of the year, by the way. Yes, and that's good. What what got flexed in? Not even a particularly great game, just not the Seahawks. Denver Chiefs. Yeah, not a great game, but it involves the Chiefs at least. Uh, The Seattle Seahawks travel to uh, FedEx Field. Taylor Heineke coming off an excellent performance in that uh, win over. The Panthers, and uh, he's fun to watch. I that my takeaway watching that game was uh, Heineke is just like, you know, he knows his whole career he's been, you know, looked down upon and seen as somebody that is not to be taken seriously, and you see it in just the way he carries himself, the way the way he bounces up when he gets hit, the way he celebrates a big play. The guy plays as cliche as it sounds with a chip on his shoulder. 
And uh, I think the team thrives off that. I think he's a really passionate player. I like those type of guys. Uh, so Team Heineke, even if he is ultimately limited in that Ryan Fitzpatrick mold, it's not all there physically, but I think he makes up with it, makes for up with it, uh, up for it with uh, the way he carries himself. But uh, that's why I'll be watching the game because there's no passion coming out of the Seahawks operation. No, they're they're incredibly tough on the eyes. Um, they're an eye bleeder. But I could not side and agree with you more on Taylor Heineke. You know, we wa- like we watch these games during the week, and a lot of times just like sitting on a couch you know, watching in silence, taking notes, Taylor Heineke is like the one guy that got me kind of, I needed to take a break after the game and get up and walk around. Um, He fired me up. I love his demeanor. I I think that he's also fearless. He made a couple throws. There was one through dense traffic to Cam Sims uh, touchdown pass that just showed his arm strength. Um, He saw the field really well on a throw to John Bates where it looked like he was going to get knocked around. He's scrambling, he's running. It looks like he's going to take off. And he saw the second, third option. And it's just like, he's doing things that show growth and progression. And I think it, you know, they're in a place too, where, and I I don't mean to always bring up Scott Turner. It's not a joke. I I think that they found a way to answer drives over and over. They got more from the ground game. Uh, Antonio Gibson outside of the fumble looked good to me. They, at this point, sounds like Curtis Samuel might finally play this week. Who? Part, exactly. Like, he, he, is, he has done a nice job of getting paid a lot of money and not doing a lot for it. But getting him back would be great. This team is on the rise. I understand, like, that, you know, they think they can start every season two and six. Well, it's working. And I want DeAndre Carter, one last guy I wanted to mention. I looked up because he looks so small to me. He is my height. He is 5'8". And weighs forty five more pounds than me, and that is not fatty tissue. So I that tells you how these football players are built. <laughs> Breaking, I'm just saying because he's, so, he's such a little jitterbug, and I was like, "How tall is that guy?" And I was like, super excited that he was my height. But did but he have a like, baby head? No, he did not. No, have it a baby is crazy. Head, but, I mean, I yeah. remember interviewing MJD when he was like a Pro Bowl running back, and he's he's five six or seven, and he's like two fifteen. And and that it was like his legs were bigger than than my entire body. It, it's wild. Uh, this is this is the low moment of the Pete Carroll era by far. That almost goes without saying. Their their defense uh, just has so many guys you can pick on in coverage. Wagner is is getting picked on sometimes too. Even uh, Brooks certainly at your boy Adams with a huge penalty last week. Dan like he you know, like it's they have. Bad. They play this old school defense where they keep the linebackers on the field and they kind of have a strong safety that, you know, who's not great in coverage. And it's like you can find mismatches. And yet, I don't know, there's something about I can't imagine them going three and eight. I don't know. (laughs) I I was not in on them last week bouncing back, but this like losing this game with everyone watching and Russell Wilson going to three and eight. It's like a bridge too far for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is not dancing on the Jamal Adams grave situation, but it is it is a bit of a cautionary tale that because Seattle's in such a tough spot and obviously the Jets have only gotten worse since he left. But, you know, when you kind of say, I can't take the losing, I got to get out of here. I don't want to be part of this operation. I want to go play for a winner. Well, that doesn't always work out. I mean, we'll see if Jamal Adams is playing for a winner now. He just signed a huge contract. I think ultimately that's what it was all about. He wanted to get, he wanted to maximize his uh, potential, his earning potential, and you can't chagrin him for that. But the other part of it was, I'm sick of losing. Get me out of here. I want to go to his proven winner. I don't know what Seattle looks like over the next five years, especially given the quarterback situation. Well, that was also a we're one player away self-evaluation of the roster. 
um, a very expensive move, and they are about twelve players, fifteen players away. That's right a now great call because playing. that was the whole the whole hook of that trade uh, was exactly that that we are a very good team, we are a playoff team, but we are one big time defender away from being a Super Bowl team, mm. and they have just went down since then. It's not Adams's fault per se, uh, but it is uh, notable that they kind of misread the whole situation and put themselves put themselves in a very difficult situation going he forward. symbolizes it it's not his and, fault and gave him a big contract too out after all that i did think russ looked better in that game they put him in such tough spots i just it's still funny to me in year 13 or whatever he's in that like they refuse to throw it when it's third and 20 or third and 15 it's just like let let them throw they're it so boring <laughs> they're so boring let them, let them throw it. dk metcalf did not come down with a couple contested catches that were pretty well placed that could have helped out Russ. I think, I think what, he'll, he'll come around is what I'm saying with Russell Wilson. I don't think he's going to be suddenly terrible. If I had to pick one wide receiver on the field in this game to start a team with, it would be your boy, Terry McLaurin. Oh, yeah. Not Lockett. No doubt. Not Metcalf. No doubt. He is excellent. All right. There you go. Week 12. That's the preview show. We hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving if you celebrate it. Uh, and uh, we'll be back on Sunday night when we recap uh, all these games. Well, that's actually not true. Thursday night, we will have our recap of the three Thanksgiving games, so make sure you check that out, and then Sunday, we will complete the recaps uh, with our flagship show. All right, boys. Thankful for you, you know. Absolutely. We got our, we got our TV Very show cool. too on on Saturday on NFL. No, Network we're not going to do that Sky. this week, right? No, we've no, not we, alerted we them. Are. Yet, but we're, we're it's a holiday weekend. Tune in. You DVR it. Um, it's on early in the morning on the East Coast, late night. I know. I know some people that watch it on the Saturday night edition. I don't think I'm going to go. Okay. Okay. You just, It'll, are you? Okay, you're just not going to show up at all. But that just means Greg and I have to do a lot more, though. Yeah, I think I'm just going to enjoy the holiday weekend like everybody else. Like. You know, so good luck, guys. And uh, take it from there. Works. I, I t- I'm totally bailing if you're not like there's no way I'm going if you're not going. Greg, it is your show. Spotlight. It's got to it be is... me, Ricky and the Grave Digger. <laughs> Actually, Ricky, are you? Yeah. You available? You around Friday? Friday? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. OK. All right. I would never miss something in football season. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> All right. Good. Uh, again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm. The old boss, Ricky Hollywood, behind the virtual glass until Thursday night. He's the call. <laughs>